We love the idea that God is loving, merciful, and compassionate, but we don't want to hear that He is also holy and just. Mention the idea that there is a God who will judge every expression of evil in the world and in an individual life, and you can count on being called a bigot, narrow-minded, and intolerant. But deep inside, every one of us knows that when we do wrong, it needs to be paid for. It needs to be made right. But how? We are working our way through the book of Revelation, and as we open the pages to Revelation 16, we face the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Listen as our Truth Encounter Bible leader, Dave Wurtson, shares with us about a cancer patient named Jim, who ended up cursing his doctor, the one doctor who could cure him. Listen. You may gain some insights into why God included those threatening passages of judgment in His revelation that speaks of such amazing grace. Here's Dave. Jim, when he went for his annual checkup, when his doctor went over what all of you men have had, and we've gotten a checkup, you know, the doctor kind of makes you take off your shirt, and he goes over your back, and usually they just look at your back, and I had this happen a few weeks ago, and Dr. Ferris said, well, everything's clear. Well, when Jim's physician went over his back, he found this little tiny spot, this little tiny bit of discoloring, and it was just suspicious enough that he thought he had to get it checked out, so they sent him over to an oncologist and Dr. Sidney's office, and Jim had this little spot checked out. The test results came back a couple days later, and they, Dr. Sidney, this oncologist, said that we need to do quite a few more tests, which they proceeded to do. And Jim and his wife, Karen, started going through that horrible trauma that all of you, at one time or another in your life, you know, you've either gone through it or you're going to go through it, where you're sitting on pins and needles wondering, like, what in the world has happened to me? Jim and Karen finally got the call that the results of all the tests were in, and they had an appointment to meet in Dr. Sidney's office at 2 o'clock. And so they went about 5 of 2, and they they'd settled down in this big, posh office, settled down in the leather chair, and they could hear telephone ringings. It was obvious that Dr. Sidney was a very skillful physician. He was making some good money. He had all the signs that said he was a, a very knowledgeable person that, that knew what he was doing. And Jim and Karen are trying to get comfortable, but even though that big leather couch is incredibly comfortable, man, Jim just fidgeting. Dr. Sidney finally walks in, and he sits down in his chair across the desk, and he takes out his manila folder and opens it up, and there he has Jim's test results. He says, Jim, the bad news is that the melanoma has metastasized. In fact, it has spread into your body. And the the other bad news is that it's a very serious form of cancer. He said the good news is that we've been able to locate exactly where it has spread to. And we have just developed a radiation technique that we think we can zero in on that cancer and we think we can heal you. Jim sat stunned. I mean, just silent and, and just leaning back. Suddenly he stood up. And he cursed Dr. Sidney. He said, I just can't believe it. Man, he just blankety blank blank. And he just started cursing Dr. Sidney. He says, you're just in this for the money. 
And all you do, I can tell, look around your office, look at all this stuff, and there's nothing wrong with me. Ever since I found out about this melanoma, I've, I felt terrible. But before that, to be honest with you, man, I can do all the things I used to do. I don't feel tired. I can get up and work, and I can play 18 holes of golf. There's nothing wrong with me. I think you're just a big liar. And he stomped out of the office. What would you say about Jim's response? Well, we can say, sure, he's just angry. Maybe he'll get over it in a few days. And uh, he'll realize that Dr. Sidney really isn't after, after him or out to get him. But you know, as, as, we, as we think about how crazy it would be for a doctor to tell us that we're really sick, that we're on the verge of dying, and yet he has an incredible cure. He can radiate us and he can make us well. We think of how crazy and, and, and just wild it would be to respond to that by cursing him and attacking him. And yet as you open up your Bibles to Revelation 16 today, we're going to find out that Jim's reaction, cursing the only one that could make you well, getting mad at the one that begins to reveal what's really going on in your life, is exactly the way those that are in the grip of the evil one respond when God begins to expose what's going on in their life. As we've been moving through the book of Revelation, we've been having the Lord God of heaven giving repeated warning signs. What we want to talk about today is that this chapter that we have today kind of brings us to a a terrible reality that these forces of darkness are ignoring the warning signs. You see, God didn't just start out at the beginning of the tribulation period and Antichrist rises to power and in five minutes, God just snuffs him out and God brings the second coming of Christ and and then the new heaven and the new earth comes. What we have in the tribulation period is what we have now in our lives. God slowly and progressively begins to try to speak to people's hearts. You, if you want to, can hear the voice of God's spirit speaking to your heart. You can have him begin to expose truth to you. But what the book of Revelation reveals is that there is one group of people who take the mark of evil and they revel in the dragon's kingdom. They revel in Satan's kingdom. And the harder God tries to reach them, the harder they get. And they will not, and they will not repent. On the other hand, there's another group of people in the book of Revelation that hear the word of God, they hear the testimony of Christ, and they begin to respond progressively. They might slip back into sin, but they keep coming toward the Son of God. They allow the Son of God to work in their life. And we've seen the book of Revelation that there are like the 144,000. Then we see a great multitude in Revelation chapter 7. We saw a great multitude singing praise to the Lord. And as we've been going through the book of Revelation, we'll see a heavenly scene where there's an innumerable host of people that are responding to God and loving him versus a host of people on the earth that are cursing him. And we have these two great big groups. Now, when we come to the bold judgments, these bold judgments are God's final attack against the kingdom of darkness as the tribulation period comes to a close. As we look at Revelation chapter 16, we find that at Revelation 15 closed, the doors of heaven are closed, the glory of the Lord fills the heavenly court, and no one can enter in. There's no longer any court of appeal. And the command is given, as we begin to read chapter 16, the command is given for the angels that have the seven bowls to go out and pour out these bowls of God's wrath upon the earth. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, 
Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and he poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly, painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Remember, we learned back in chapter 13 that his Antichrist rose to power as his false prophet began to use religion, false religion, to suck people into worshiping Antichrist. As this Antichrist begins to gain world domination, people are faced with a choice. They can get his mark on their forehead and on their wrists and on their bodies, and then they can buy their commercial goods, and they can keep their jobs, and they can just keep going on with their lives. But if they choose not to receive that mark, if they choose to follow Jesus and to believe in this book, then horrible persecution breaks out against them. It looks like at that time, early in the tribulation, about halfway through the tribulation period, when Antichrist suddenly begins to turn against the people of God, at the turning point of the tribulation period, it looks like as that tremendous persecution breaks out, that the smart people, the with it people, the pragmatic people, are the ones that just go along with the flow, that allow themselves to be marked by Antichrist. Because after all, you have to do what you have to do to exist. All of us are going to face those kind of situations. In your life, there's going to be time when you feel like, man, in order to make it, in order to live, in order to get by, I know that it's wrong, but i got to do it. When you make that choice, you become marked. When you make a choice to go ahead and go along, and you do the wrong thing, it marks you. It marks you with evil. The tribulation period is just kind of a big extrapolation, kind of the end result of the wars that are going on right now in our society. And what the Lord is telling us here is that it might look like it was really a pragmatic choice to be marked by Antichrist, to be marked with his sign. And you got by for a time. It worked for a time. But now the Lord is showing where it ends up. Because as the angel of God pours out the bowl of God's wrath, and this isn't a wrath that gets angry really quickly. This is not an anger that you can't figure out. This is an anger that's been looking at evil, looking at his people being cursed, and looking at his people be brutally murdered, listening to his children praying. How long are you going to allow this idiomine of the tribulation period, this Hitler of the tribulation period, how long are you going to allow him to keep strutting on planet Earth? And the bold judgments is God saying, I've seen what's happened, and now it's time for the heavenly counterattack. And the very first one is God allows sores to break out, malignant, painful sores break out upon all the followers of Antichrist. I want you to see the connection. They were marked with the sign of Antichrist. Now the Lord allows their bodies to be marked with sores. One of the things you're going to find out about God's justice is that the punishment fits the crime. It's one of the dominant points that you need to understand in this chapter. The unbelieving followers of Antichrist allowed their bodies to be marked with the mark of Antichrist. Now God allows the mark of their decision to break out all of their lives. And what God is telling you loud and clear, if you choose to reject me, If you choose to walk away from me, if you choose to deny me, eventually what happens with your body, your body will be marked with the effects of sin. If you don't believe that, just go into the mission in Dallas. Go and work at the mission in Dallas. And look at some people that have been just totally devastated on the streets with drugs and with alcohol and all that that brings. And look at the results in their body. Sin marks you. 
You start out young. You start out like everything's going great and it looks like you can just get by with all of it. But you need to check people out when they get to be about 40. If they live to be 50, when they're 60, look at the marks that it brings in their body. And that's what is being described here. During the tribulation period, God begins to counterattack. And just like Job, was, Satan was able to mar his body with all those terrible boils, the very first bold judgment is God allowed the followers of Antichrist to become marked with these painful, malignant sores. Look what happens with the next bowl. It says, The second angel poured out his bowl in the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl in the river, springs of water, and they became blood. And then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and of your prophets, and now you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The second and third bold judgments attacked the water supplies on planet Earth. And the trumpet judgments, we had God uh, causing a pollution of a third of the water supply. And we had kind of the beginning of God's attack against the water sources of the planet Earth. Some of you are saying, well, Dave, man, the Bible's exaggerating. You know, this could never happen. Listen, I've been in scientific classrooms where, where experts begin talking about catastrophism. Some of the catastrophes that could come. 2020 will run major reports how some kind of industrial weights begin to be added to our gasoline. They talk about how it filters into the water supplies and things become polluted. One of the major things in the scientific community today is trying to balance what's happening in the world with the progression of growth, with technology and all that comes with that, and trying to balance the delicate uh, natural uh, environment that we live in. Just a very dominant thing in the scientific community. And also, all of you that, that read sci-fi literature, you'll read about you know, some uh, meteors hitting and all kinds of things. What I want you to see is that you just can't get away from the idea that in our mind, we, we kind of have it deeply ingrained in us that things are not going to keep going on just the way they have forever and ever and ever. That's a lie. The Bible that we read says that there was a time when the whole world was flooded with a horrible flood. And God's judgment poured out and snuffed out wickedness. And he started all over with Noah and his, and his family. Jesus predicted that at the end of time that there would be another, not a flood, but there would come a great shaking of the earth. All the Old Testament prophets said that. What these bold judgments are is now the climax of that attack from heaven upon this earth that's, that's mounted rebellion against him. The same God that says, let the waters appear on the earth. And the waters appeared, and there were oceans. The same God that said that in the second bowl judgment says, there's no longer any water. The water's now turned to blood. Just like in the Egyptian plagues. Well, that won't literally happen in the Egyptian plagues. Egypt depended upon the Nile. If you study anything about the ancient kingdom of, of Egypt, what made it such an incredibly powerful, vast, agriculturally productive people was the incredible gift of the Nile. They worship the Nile. They worship the animals in the Nile. They worship the crocodiles. They worship the frogs. They worship uh, the sun god of the desert. They just worship all of these creative forces. And what Moses did in the plagues against the Egyptian pharaoh is he said, you want to worship those things? I'm going to show you who really is God. 
And so God caused the Nile to become blood. And the Egyptians moaned over the lack of the water supply and how it was polluted. What the bold judgments show us, reminding us about how God did battle with the Old Testament Pharaoh. Now he's doing war with the New Testament Pharaoh, the Antichrist. And he tells us that the same Lord that created the ocean in the first place now turns off his creativity. And says now the oceans become blood. The fresh water supplies, one of the greatest gifts to us on earth is fresh water. You've ever gone without fresh water very long, you understand how precious it is. I've been on long hikes in the mountains and your canteens run out of water and you know, you're just dying of thirst and you're sweaty from the long hike. To suddenly be able to find a, a gushing spring out of the mountains. In the Adirondacks where I was raised, sometimes you'd be hiking and you'd just have a cleft in the rock and beautiful ice-cold water would just flow right out of these clefts in the rock. And man, when you found one of those incredible springs, man, it was like a gift from heaven. Imagine those springs all just turning to blood. And there's nothing to drink except this putrefying. It's not even like living blood. It's like the congealing blood of a corpse. So some of you that think that Hollywood has, you know, these horrible, scary films that can really get you. You've got to read the book of Revelation because this is the real thing. This is not some apocalypse that some writer made up, but this is the apocalypse of God. And this is what's going to happen. And look at how heaven responds. You say, well, Dave, why are they saying you are just in these judgments, you who are, and to we're the Holy One? Because you have judged, for they shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and now you have given them blood to drink. You say, well, Dave, what in the world are they talking about? They're talking about the justice of God's justice. What the response of heaven is, is what's been happening in the tribulation period. What's been happening even now in church history is that the dragon, Satan, is able to snuff out the lives of believers. What Revelation is assuring you is that the mafia and the gangs and the the criminal activity and the drug abuse and all that stuff, in the end, it doesn't win. In the end, God is strong enough to deal with it. We need to learn from this. One of Satan's biggest lies, he'll tell young people, he'll tell children, evil's bigger than God. You can get away with it. You can be successful. One of the greatest temptations into evil is to see people really succeeding. To see that those that don't believe in Jesus, those that don't believe in his word, man, they do really great. And so Satan starts to tell you, why don't you let it slide a little bit? Why don't you go ahead and give in a little bit? Why do you just keep, you know, why do you keep following this weak Savior that can't come through? The book of Revelation is Jesus' revelation to you to say, my children, don't you ever think that because I'm patient, because I don't immediately execute my justice, don't you ever think that I'm not omnipotent? Don't you ever think that I'm not all-powerful? I am patient. But when I come to judge evil, when I come to judge wickedness, it will be totally fair. The punishment will fit the crime. When people took the blood of my servants, like during the tribulation period, remember the prophet like Moses, the prophet like Elijah, were able to minister and God protected them. And then Antichrist snuffed out their life and they were just left open on the streets of Jerusalem. And the whole world rejoiced because these two pricks in their conscience had been nullified. And it looked like Antichrist can just do what he wants to. The prophets of God aren't strong enough to handle it. And then Antichrist begins to butcher many of the followers of those prophets. And so in that time of the tribulation period, people are going to be tempted to say, well, 
God's not coming through. The Almighty God isn't coming through. And, and John was running this to a group of first century believers who had an intense, powerful, violent Roman Empire where it looked like there was no way that this fledgling little group of believers could ever make it against this great big boogeyman named the Roman Empire. And John wrote these words and these early believers believed it, that there was an Almighty God who is and who was. And in this chapter, we don't have the final name, and two will come, because when the bold judgments come, God is saying loud and clear, I'm not going to come, I've come. And as we move towards the, just the very final day of the tribulation period, these bold judgments begin to be God's omnipotent justice against the forces of evil. One thing I want you to know about your heavenly daddy. Your heavenly daddy is sweet, he's kind, he's gracious, he's long-suffering, he's gentle, he's forgiving. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse you from every sin. There's power in the blood of Jesus. You can sing that song, and I want you all to know that. But don't ever take that grace lightly. Because sin is a horrible, malignant, crazy, chaotic force. And this is how God eventually deals with those who don't respond to the message of grace, to the message of salvation, to the message of love that's found in Jesus. And I want you to think hard about why it takes this kind of force to deal with evil, because it will tell you about what you're up against. You're not just up against psychological forces. As you're trying to work with people, you're not just up against genetic forces. You're not just against, you know, things that we can manipulate with drugs, some chemical imbalances. I want you to know that on planet Earth, there is this kind of crazy, irrational, black and dark and evil and destructive and violent force. And God, the omnipotent God, powerfully at the end of the tribulation period, begins to deal with it. And heaven responds saying... As God begins to judge those who have opposed him, they say, we see the justice in it. Justice is about, there was a crime committed, the punishment totally lines up with the crime. You took blood, now I give you blood to drink. And all of heaven responds. Look at the fourth angel. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And the sun was given power to scorch the people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. How stupid could you get? I want you to look at the hardness of evil's hold. If you had this book in your hand and you had a preacher telling you what I'm telling you, and you begin to have your waters turn to blood. You begin to have the sun begins to scorch you and your body. How many of you have ever had a really bad sunburn? Almost all of us have, right? And man, it hurts when you've been out in that sun too much. The pain of that, all of us have experienced that. We'll just multiply that. As good Texans, we can really identify with this plague of the, the scorching sun. And it hurts us. But notice how they responded. You see how the people responded? It says, who had control of the plague, but they refused to repent. They cursed the name of God, and they refused to glorify him. That is stupid. That's like... The guy that I started out with earlier in our discussion, where a surgeon is saying, you're dying. And I'm going to use radiation. Man, it's going to seem like I'm trying to kill you. But if you'd respond, we might be able to heal this thing. But instead, they stomp out of the office cursing God. I want you to know that that is one of the natures of evil. One of the things that scares me, it scares me about some of you, is that you have the idea that you can walk close to God and walk away from him. You can listen to his voice a little bit, and then you can go away from him. You can monkey around with evil, and then you can come back. And almost all of you have the idea 
that I'm going to play out there a little bit in Satan's territory because it's fun. And I like doing that and I can get away and I can, I can do my own thing and it's so exciting to be able to do that. And yet I know because I know the truth, man, I'm going to come back and, and I'm going to get things right. You are totally underestimating the power of the forces that you're dealing with because this is totally crazy. In other words, when you know that God has that kind of power, he controls the sun, he controls the water supplies, he controls the ocean. When you know that he has that kind of power, and you feel him sledgehammering you, the only sane response would be to go flat on your face and say, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, I thank you that you gave your son to die for me. I just thank you that there was another place where my sins could be paid for. And Lord, I just want him to pay for it. Come into my life now. That's the only sane response to have. But that's not what the followers of Antichrist are going to do. Do you ever feel that God is tightening the screws against you? Have you ever felt the pain of disobeying your conscience? Have you ever faced the bad consequences that flow from making choices you knew were wrong? God's announcement of judgment is not the final word. He wants you to face the truth about yourself so that you will receive the only cure that can save you from death. His Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation that announces the final judgments of God against those who rebel against Him so that you might wake up and receive the gift of forgiveness. The essence of the Gospel is that God's Son took the punishment that our evil deserves. He faced the judgment of death so that we would never have to. Why not take a minute and admit that you need the Savior? Why not depend upon His death in your place and in His resurrection? When Jesus comes to live inside of your life, you will never need to fear the judgment of God again.